Hi everyone, you're listening to yet another edition of the Spodcast. The podcast with a name that we really can't agree on at all. I'm joined by Alex and Chris here, who probably have uh, diverse and, and varying opinions on the name Spodcast. We still both like... hate it. See, I like it, largely because I made the the graphics for the Spodcast, and I'm not going to make those again, because they took some time. Uh, the, the the text effect, where it's got like the 3D thing, that was by hand. That was... I, I didn't do any sort of fancy, like like... 3D to 2D stuff. I did that manually because that was ultimately faster. Because I don't know how to do the 3D stuff. So yeah, I'm not I'm not messing with that shit again. Um, so we are the Spodcast, and uh, it's been a couple weeks since we did one of these. Um, I, and really, the most interesting thing that has happened in those past couple of weeks is that for the first time in I think. 12 years we have new star trek on tv which is to say not actually on tv but airing on the internet such as it is so i'm still confused about that because i don't have traditional cable and i don't get any network um channels over the air so does it straight up only air on their streaming service there is no way to get this show i on tv i think at least part of the first season is airing on CBS, the actual channel, uh, but not right, like, like later on. Uh, let me... Let's see here. And then in uh, other countries, I think it's different, too. Debuting on CBS and All Access on September 24th, so I don't know what that I like that sounds like it's on actual television Canadians can watch it on space channel or crave TV which is like the bell media streaming yeah service. okay so it was simulcast uh, on on um, on the CBS all access uh, streaming service and on the CBS channel and on space and on Crave TV uh, and on Netflix if you're not in North America which great wonderful thanks yet yet more reason for me to want to set up a VPN so I can pretend to be in like South Korea or something and and get all the good Netflix shit I don't actually know if South Korea has any good Netflix shit or any Netflix shit at all but uh Somewhere that no. is not here. So according to Wikipedia, it straight up is the rest of the 15 episode first season will be streamed weekly on All Access. Yeah. I don't know if it actually appears on TV. That's fascinating. That sounds really risky, actually. A platform that is just now launching, that has no established user base, basically being carried by one TV show. Yeah, they're doing the Voyager thing again. So I don't know if you remember, um, but when Voyager launched, like Star Trek Voyager, the series launched in uh, 1996, I think. Um, and it, it was streamed it launched... over RealPlayer? No. It... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think RealPlayer existed at that point. Uh, not not as a thing you could use on the internet anyway. Um, 
No, it launches the flagship of uh, the UPN, if you remember that network that it totally still exists and did not fail. Um, and it was kind of like, because all the other previous Star Trek series, uh, and including like Deep Space Nine, which was running concurrently at the time, um, were just uh, syndicated. So it was just local networks picked them up. Uh, and then... Voyager was specifically just UPN, at least at the start, uh, and they kind of used Star Trek to prop up their their new network, which like probably worked to some extent, just because at the time Star Trek was a really big deal. I mean, this was like a year after The Next Generation stopped airing. Um, you know, they were getting ready to do the the Next Generation films. In fact, they were already filming the Next Generation films. Uh, like, I... So, like, it probably helped UPN, at least in the short term, and then it just turned out that, like, there wasn't a whole lot of other content for that thing. Uh, but, like, I wonder at at doing that now you know, when the last Star Trek series was 12 years ago and it was the really not great Enterprise. I mean, it certainly looks like a show that could carry a, 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 um, a, a application for, like, a little bit, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we can talk about that. Like, the production values of this thing are, are ridiculous. Like, it looks it's at gorgeous. times better than the Abrams movies. Um, you know, I think they're like 8 million per episode, which is like pretty crazy. Um, like it's weird though. Cause like there are points where it looks like a film and then there is like occasionally like an obvious TV approach to solving a problem. Like occasionally screen shake is just shaking the camera and it's really weird to go from like film level production CGI and then something will hit the ship and then they'll just shake the camera and you're like, wait, this doesn't look as good. <laughs> I, I didn't notice that actually, but I'll be like looking out for that from now on. Cause that sounds really funny if they're still using the old method of like, okay, all the actors just kind of like shake around, like as if you're the, the ship is moving. Um, fuck. They didn't even do that with like, like back in the, the TNG film, like the last TNG film nemesis, they actually, put the bridge set on a like motion thing so they could rock it. Um, when, when, you know, you needed a battle sequence and, and the ship like got hit and, and people were, were being thrown around. Uh, that, that's really interesting. If it's just like a fucking camera shake. Um, although I guess like, like how practical is it to build an entire set on a, you know, on on a rocker like do they even do that with the abrams movies like i I don't know um so uh yeah let's um kind of dive into it uh star trek discovery what did you guys think about it um i've seen both episodes alex has seen both episodes and chris you've seen the first one and i i say both episodes the the third episode is like coming out as we're recording this so we haven't seen that yet and I should probably add that this sequence will almost certainly have spoilers in it. So if you haven't seen it and you care about spoilers, then uh, maybe skip this segment until you do. Uh, but the the two-part pilot, the, the movie pilot, will say, um, what did you guys think? Um, maybe Chris go first? Okay. I, I've only seen half of it. So 
that is going to, to hamper my ability to really comment because I know a lot of the interesting plot stuff happens on the back half. Um, that said, what I saw, I mostly really, really liked. I like mixing traditional Star Trek problems and politics with um, a more personal viewpoint of a single character. Um, so far, at least, that seems to be working. Um, I like not having necessarily it be the captain that we're following and the captain being the main character. That's really, that's refreshing. Um, I am digging, again, the production values are astounding. Um, and it seems like it's going for a nice mix of action-y, sci-fi, popcorn TV with a decent dose of actual Star Trek-y, like, how do we handle an interesting situation in a cultured and, and reasonable way without being just like, blasters on, let's do some space shit. So I liked it, but I can't speak to the overall thing because I haven't, again, I haven't finished the second half of it. Yeah, it, it certainly feels a lot more um, like laid back and thoughtful and, and a little bit more cerebral in its approach to stuff. Like even though it's dealing with, with a very like explicitly like the, this is the start of a war uh, between the Federation and the Klingons. Like, this is the backstory we're doing here. You know, this is the point in the canon that we're going to explore. Um, uh, but, but like, at no, like, everything about it feels, like, slower and more methodical than the Abrams films and the, the you know, I guess they're not all Abrams films now at this point, but, um, you know, like, all three of the, the new Trek films are very, very fast-paced and, like, like there's very little like stopping and discussing and considering going on. Whereas, um, with, with this thing, even in this, uh, fairly, you know, action packed, uh, two hour long pilot, like there's a lot of like considering and thinking and like, uh, how do we handle this situation? What's the best way to do this? Um, you know, Starfleet doesn't fire first kind of stuff going on. Uh, and that was like, it was nice to see that as, as someone who's been kind of watching this develop and, and looking at the trailers and going like, this kind of looks like it might just be the Abrams films in, in a TV format, in an HBO miniseries kind of format. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's that. Like, it's it's definitely not... It's not old Star Trek. It's not the next generation. It is it is more action-y, more drama-focused, significantly darker than, than those... Uh, than those series. Like, it's not a, a, st- a return to that form. Um... But I kind of, like, I didn't expect that. I don't know if you can do, like, I, I I don't think you could go and do Star Trek The Next Generation again in 2017. I mean... I'm actually, like, trying to figure out how to phrase this. There's there's something about the original, um... T, well, not the original. There's something about TNG that almost was, like, a procedural... Um, here are these more or less perfect characters stepping through procedure of... Um, diplomatic space adventures. Um, and so it was very much using science, using reason, using 
um, diplomacy to solve problems and show that there is another way and that that system works in the same way that law and order uses the procedures of investigation and then prosecution to show you that, hey, the law, the legal system works. Um, it, in, in some ways, I think Star Trek is a procedural. This is no longer that, or at least the, the, the opening movie, I guess, is no longer that. The, the actual episodic stuff that's coming out now might be closer. Um, but it is definitely like more driven by personal interactions. And that's, that's kind of, I think, the biggest difference with original Trek because it means that characters have to screw up. Because it's no longer just about that procedural of, we met an unknown space thing. How does a good, civilized society interact with unknown space thing? Uh, this is more like, we met an unknown space thing, but so-and-so has been drinking, and so he screws up and fires a laser at it. Now we have to deal with the consequences of that. It tries to mix like the personal arcs of the characters with the sort of high-concept sci-fi procedural stuff. And it's going to be interesting to see how that works out, because it means you have to have characters that screw up, like in the intro where... Um, uh, I still don't know the captain's name. Not the captain. The the main character's name, uh, Michael. Michael um, Burnham. Yeah. Um, where she does the the Vulcan pinch on the captain, and I'm like, oh, that's mutiny. She's fired or killed. Like that's it. That's that's open mutiny. Um, and I know they're establishing her backstory for the later episodes for what goes on, but at the same time, it's like you're going to have to have characters that screw up and do things that are distinctly not Trekkie because. The series is about characters and their failings and their arcs rather than just how do we solve space problems. And I think that's going to be an interesting needle to thread. So I'm still really on the fence overall about the series. Um, I would typically with this kind of stuff, it you know takes it a while to ramp up and like there's no good for seasons of Star Trek. So it's like may take a season. Um, but like... So the, I really liked the first episode because it kind of jumped into things as opposed to, like, we're going to take, like, two hour-long episodes to introduce every character. And, like, really, you there's still, like, most of the cast, I don't even know their name. It really just focuses in well, on, um, you know, Michael and kind of what she goes through. So, I mean, that's not necessarily yeah, a I bad mean, like, thing. Most of the cast hasn't even been introduced yet. Yeah. Like, even at, after episode two. So, I like that it kind of, like, jumped into things, and we're, like, um, there's still basically no clear understanding of what the premise of the show is. Um, so that's kind of good. Uh, but I kind of didn't, I don't like, I don't know about this the turn of events in the in the preview of the series that they showed at the end. And I guess this will be like the spoilers I'm, for Yeah, Chris, I'm a little but... put off by it too. Um I, I assume you're like we're we're talking about like the like she's a an, a convict now and has to work her way back into the graces of, of like Starfleet, like that. Yeah, well, it's that, but it's also, like, the fact that they kill um, the captain, and then now yeah. the captain, and, like, this is me because I didn't follow the casting so much. I heard it's Sandra O, oh, right? Sandra O, oh. and um, and that they said she was going to be the captain. I'm like, that's amazing, perfect, wonderful, like, a uh, no, woman of color. Michelle like, Yeoh. Uh, oh, Michelle Yo, right? Yeah, M my bad. How's that, um, Sandra so, Yo? What are you talking about? 
Um, so like, like I don't keep I don't follow those kind of things. So when I saw that there was a now it's the white like just another like white dude who we don't even know who he is, and it's like like that's kind of shitty because I think they have they showed really good chemistry with those characters, and I don't know if it's like they're gonna make revisit like that or go do more flashbacks but it seems to me from the series preview that like that's the gist of the story is she's a convict working her way up and then eventually she gets back on a space um ship and there's this like white dude that's like the captain and yeah jason he's there and i don't know um yeah um it's it almost feels like the pilot was something that like if this were a a film or a mini series, it would have probably started in media res with the beginning of, of episode three, which presumably starts with her being like a convict and, and showing up on the new ship. That's the actual main ship. And then you'd get like a couple episodes in and then you'd get the flashback story of how she got to where she is. Um, and it's interesting that they ended up kind of doing it the other way around. And like the pilot is sort of like, it's not so much a pilot for the show as it is for the like one like the main character's backstory and just her backstory. Um, like uh, Saru is the only other major character that I think carries over into the actual rest of the TV show, and he's in that, but but he's not really in focus. And either. Um, Drew Barrymore uh, looking lady. Oh, is she on the the ship too? Yes, but she has a cyber mohawk. Or a, a, a side shave thing. Oh, yeah. But there's cyber in it. And then Daft Punk died, so I guess he was Yeah, why, why'd they have to kill Daft Punk? <laughs> oh, um, that was the only spoiler I cared about. <laughs> oh, no. Well, actually, there's two of them, aren't there? I don't know. I know there's two Daft Punks, but there's, like, in this ship, I thought there were two of them. So maybe I one wasn't survived. sure what to make of those guys. Um... Yeah, I I think, like, I see a lot of this kind of, this concern coming up, Um, you know, I've been kind of paying attention to the discussion and the reception of the the pilot, Um, and I I see a lot of concern about, like, is this just going to be about the war and it's going to be a weird, like, it's going to be a Star Trek war drama or, or something, and, like, like how much of the the other Star Trek stuff that we love, you know, the the uplifting stuff is going to be in it, and like I I feel like, um, you know, the pilot kind of was in the position where it it had to set this stuff up. Like this is going to be a, an overarching conflict for the series, the stuff going on with the Klingons. But like I think there's probably room in there for there to be you know, other stories to explore. You, you see the kind of stuff, like like some kind of uh, interesting sci-fi weird stuff going on in the, the previews for um, the the next episodes after, uh, you know, at the end of the, the pilot. Um, and it, it seems like there's, you know, there's some element of exploration and element of like going, you know, boldly going where no one has gone before. Um, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm hopeful that like the the pilot and the initial like character stuff is um, not necessarily reflective of like 
everything that this this show is going to be about like you know michael is going to get over being a convict uh you know relatively quickly and you know the the show can kind of um have that room to explore more than just like there's a great big war going on with the klingons and we got to go deal with that and and it doesn't it really suck all the stuff that you did and and got in trouble for um so i'm hopeful that we see some more of that that star trek elements like the the classic star trek elements uh there as it moves into this more episodic format um obviously it's not going to be you know it is not going to be old trek <laughs> like if you were looking for Star Trek The Next Generation again, like, this is not it. Um, if you're looking for the original series again, this isn't really it either. Although the original series was, you know, they 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 had characters that fought and got mad at each other and stuff like that. So, like, some elements of this are similar to that or, or more aligned with that. You know, they, they made mistakes. Um, and, of course, they had a lot of red shirts that died all the time. So... <laughs> I'm just kind of concerned because usually my appeal for Star Trek is seeing a diverse cast doing cool stuff and dealing with differences and similarities and bonding and those moments. And I just, right now, unfortunately, it seems like the only character that they've shown to have chemistry with the main character has died. Yeah. And also, it's kind of a shame to... It was a misstep I just killing think her off. Yeah, like, I, I think just it's one of those frustrating things where, like, you have a, a, a big, you know, Asian-American star, and she's just not, gonna, not a through line. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's just disappointing. Even if the captain isn't, like, the main character of the show, I think there's just such significance now with Star Trek and captains and, like, legacies and things like that that it's just hard to avoid. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do get the sense that the Jason Isaacs captain, like, they've been describing him as... Like, I think, I think Jason Isaacs himself, like, said, this guy is the most fucked up captain uh, we've seen yet. Uh like they've been describing him as like unhinged and kind of like a little bit nuts. And I, I like, I'm imagining how the, the central conflict of this season is going to go is that like, um, he's gonna, uh, you know, bring her out of prison and bring her on to, to the discovery, the, the ship and, uh, and like, uh, for her expertise with the uh, the Klingons, because she's had history with the the Klingons, because um, they blew up her colony and you know attacked her when she was uh, a kid at the Vulcan Science Academy too, or, or something. I'm not really sure what the the chronology was there, um, and uh, and also she was at the center of the the start of the war, and he's gonna like kind of mentor her in a way and be like the the guy that like kind of reassures her initial assumptions of like, yeah, okay, we actually got to go and, and just fight the Klingons. Uh, and then the evolution is going to be like, um, he continues to get more and more extreme and ends up turning into like 
the villain. And I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the finale is her facing a similar choice that she faced in the pilot of, like, mutinying. But in this case, it's not to go against the captain's orders and and potentially start a massive war, but uh, to um, stop the captain from fucking everything up. Um, And then, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, going into season two, like, there's a different captain um, and he's, like, removed from the picture in some way. Um, That's kind of... That's just a sort of general guess from what I've seen of, of how I see this possibly going down. Well, yeah, because they are changing the cast throughout and yeah, or throughout the series. But I'd imagine that Michael might be a character that comes back too, in a different right. role, maybe. Oh, did they say they're gonna like like the season two is gonna be a different like cast and setting or That's something? That's what I, I had thought. thought. That was, I thought that was like something that people thought they had said, and then they came back and said like, "Oh no, actually, we weren't. That's not what we meant." Um, that this was going to be like a, a long running series with like these characters. Um, so the other big question, I guess, is uh, what you guys think of the Klingons? Um, I didn't even. So first, I again, I didn't hear anything about the switch, but of the 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 aesthetics of the Klingons. So when I saw them, I thought they were, like, a different type of Klingon from a different, like, sector or something like that. And then I thought, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Because I also forgot that it was a prequel. Um, yeah, which actually, you know, actually didn't really... you forget. <laughs> like, there's not a lot anchoring. Yeah, it is. Um, so when I saw them, I thought they were, like, an alternate from another family or, like, another house or something. Um but then it's like just the Klingons and I, I and I like I'm all for changing the look. I just don't know if this is it. I it I would have to see like what the series decides to do and portray their culture and like if there's more to it with definitely like the skin color seems to be a big factor. Um between the light skinned one and the dark skinned ones. Yeah. So maybe they're gonna do something like like with that and that's let's um maybe likely to do with the original design that they've been working with for so long. I don't know, but I'm not against or for it until I see what they do with it. Yeah, the the Klingons were always sort of um, depicted, like, across all of their depictions as having generally darker skin tones than, than you know, not the average human being, of course, but um, the average human you would see on the mostly European cast of uh, the Star Trek series. Um, But then they also had, like, white people as Klingons. So, you know, it it wasn't, like, ever brought up as as any sort of a big deal uh, in the past. Whereas in this one, like, there's some specific thing, like this guy's an albino and so people shun him but then the uh the um klingon messiah figure whose name i forgot and probably can't pronounce um Tukuvma or something uh like you know recognizes him as as uh you know a courageous person and gives him a position of authority um i 
am apparently in the minority in that I actually really dig the new Klingon look um, with a few caveats that I'll get to. But, um, like, it doesn't... It's not so far away from what the Klingons used to look like that it looks like, oh, this is a completely different fucking, like, thing. Like, they still look Klingon adjacent. Um, They're just, like, they've got a bit more prosthetics going on on the face. You know, they're a bit stockier and bigger. um, And they're wearing, like, really ridiculous-looking armor now. Um, But, like, I, I, I think they did a decent job of, like, you know, like, hey, we just sticking a rubber forehead on someone doesn't really look that great in 2017. What can we do to, like, make the Klingons look a little bit more distinctive and still kind of keep the uh, the general aesthetic that had been established in the movies and, and then, you know, in through the next generation and so on? Um, and I think they did a pretty good job of that. I, I do kind of miss the hair, but um, I guess that, like, I, I feel like the 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 shaved head stuff is maybe something specific to this particular sect of Klingons that we're interacting with. Cause like some of the, the holograms of Klingons seem to have hair, um, when all the, the great houses showed up. Uh, the one problem I have with the Klingons is that like it, it's seems like maybe the makeup is a little bit too heavy on the actors. Cause there's a lot of like, it feels like you're losing quite a bit of emotion going on in, in with with some of these scenes where the Klingons are just kind of like staring blankly and there's not a whole lot of uh of facial movement because they're wearing such heavy makeup. Um and I wonder if that was maybe just like the one main Klingon that we see the most of doing that. Um and then later on it'll look different, I'm not sure. Um I thought it was really cool that um they they really committed to like whenever the Klingons are speaking English, they're actually speaking English, and when they're not, they're speaking in Klingon with subtitles. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty neat. Although I think um, they they maybe could have sped up the enunciation a little bit. Yes, they talk so slowly because it, it was going like like tokunokfarnetu. Um, and like that was, and it, and, and it kind of made all the sentences drag on a lot. And I, I, th- I think they were speaking the actual Klingon language. Um, I don't know for sure, but like there is an actual Klingon language that has a, a grammar and vocabulary. Um, oh, they must be like, like you would think. You know, if you're doing that much dialogue in this fake language, you'd probably use the actual fake language rather than just writing gibberish. But I thought that was really neat. Um, I don't think they... they. I think they got the culture right. Like, it didn't feel... Um, like, it didn't feel really out of the ordinary, the kind of stuff that the Klingons were talking about. Um, you know, they've always kind of sort of been that... Um, individualistic uh you know warrior society uh and it makes sense that you know they they're probably busy warring against themselves most of the time um 
The one thing that didn't make a whole lot of sense is that um, I felt like the the actual argument to come together was pretty weak and didn't make a whole lot of sense. Where like the thing that that got all the other Klingon houses to to join together and and fight was was the captain saying they come in peace and it was and it was like yeah that was a bit of a stretch like look here they're gonna say they come in peace we come in peace they're lying okay we'll fight with you it's like I don't I didn't understand the like line of reasoning that led to the like to everybody just going yeah that's it they said they come in peace so fuck those guys like if they really weren't in like that much conflict then why set it up that way like if that was the thing you know what i mean right you 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 feel like like any klingon watching that would say like well duh you know oh so they they put a nice spin on it when they're coming to defend their territory so what um So that that was the one thing that that kind of came out as weak to me was like the 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 like the like Takufma the the main Klingon is supposed to be this like messianic figure who talks about he's the second coming of Kalis the sort of Klingon Jesus um, and I kind of expected like for a religious zealot character to have more of a solid like charisma to him. And it didn't feel like he was quite there to me. But yeah, um, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about this show. It it did a lot of stuff that um, I was expecting to see less of. Uh, you know, there there was a lot more. Um, nuanced discussion of things going on a lot more interesting problems than the typical um new star trek movie there's the they're the bad guys they have a doomsday weapon we gotta kill them so i i'm interested in seeing where this goes um i'm not totally completely sold on it yet but i'm i'm pretty happy with what i saw for a pilot episode it's probably the best star trek pilot um in in all of the Star Trek series. Oh, you think so? Like what what pilot was better? Like Caretaker was yeah. okay. Emissary was, was pretty good. No, Encounter on Farpoint was probably the worst. Um like I, I actually probably would say Broken Bow is higher than Encounter at Farpoint, and Broken Bow sucked. Like yeah, the only that's good a good thing point. About, There's uh, not many good ones. The only good thing about Farpoint was uh, John Delancey's Q. Uh, that's about it. Um, Where No Man Has Gone Before was pretty good, I guess. Um, although Bones wasn't in the series yet, so it can't win. Um, any closing thoughts? I want to see the second half of it. I, it didn't immediately turn me off. Um, <laughs> High praise indeed. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic. Cool. So we've been going for about 
40 minutes. What do you say we uh, we go and do some mailbag questions? Okay. Sounds good. We have a, a number of them. Um, I'm going I'm to read a couple of these subject titles to give you an idea of the, the kind of um, response we got from the last uh, Spodcast. Um, you asked for it. Erotic question. Oh, no. I forgot we did that. Spodcast Uh-oh. question of an erotic nature. Not an erotic <sighs> question, sadly. Uh, and then uh, something about Dishonored Death of the Outsider. And, oh. Uh, some other stuff. So he baited us, or she, or they. Well, no, this is, this is just they... subject titles of different emails that I got. Um, yeah, so, so... but they thought it, maybe they would put erotic questions so we'd get interested. I don't know. And I then haven't actually read all of these. Uh, do we, do we want to do erotic questions or non-erotic questions? Well, what kind of line do we, we want to go draw back and forth between podcast? the two? Well, I mean, I don't know what these questions are. Um, all right. Do we want to start with an erotic question or do we want to lead off with a non-erotic yes. question and get everybody kind of interested first? All right. Um, sex sells. Cool. I agree. Okay. Uh, let's go with. There, there are kind of two questions of a similar nature here. Um, I'm going to read this one, um, and then we could probably read the second one and and kind of compare the two. Uh, Dear Spoily Folks, in response to the call for erotic questions, have any of you tried games funded via Patreon? Trials in Tainted Space has had a successful backing for what is effectively a text adventure, and Cloud Meadows seems to still be a thing after the breeding season fiasco. Uh, Side note, what breeding season fiasco? Last I heard, they were still going. What happened? Um, what are your thoughts on games funded this way? I also have a game suggestion. I'm about halfway through Binary Domain and would love to hear your thoughts. Think Marlowe Briggs as a third-person shooter with squad loyalty meters that are based on voice commands. Seriously, you control your squad with voice commands. It's amazing. Philip. I, I, I'm highly skeptical of a video game where you control anything with voice commands. <laughs> I remember they had one, what was it, for when the PS2 first came out? That was, like, one of the first games. Really? Like, I remember, like, SOCOM series being the thing that um, popularized, like, voice over, uh, you know, for multiplayer stuff. Uh, but that wasn't, like, controlling oh, yeah, here voice it is. commands. Lifeline by Konami. Oh, that wonderful game company. I've no, I've never heard of this game. What the hell is it? It's a game where it, you control the player by speaking to them on the microphone. Oh, that sounds terrible. I would love to see how this actually plays. We gotta go and we gotta go and find a copy of that and a, a, a headset that'll work with it and like set it up and live stream it. X Play gave it a two star out of five star. So I don't think I've played an erotic game in years. I think the last time I played an erotic game was like I was in college 
and it was like I was plumbing the depths of bad DOS games and I found a strip poker game and the <laughs> cards were all weighted to give you like way more full houses and way more uh, flushes and stuff than are statistically likely just so you regularly win and the nudity continues. I think that's the last erotic game I remember playing and it was not very good because it wasn't a very good poker game and it was a DOS game so the nudity was very pixelated. Um so it wasn't great as an erotic work either, um, but yeah, I don't I don't play a ton of erotic games. It's it's not like I don't know. The, the concept's always been weird to me. That's but the a... question was about Patreon. Yeah, erotic well, they, games funded through Patreon. Well, to the point where I'd not. So I haven't played Cloud Meadow is my point, and I haven't played <laughs> any of the others that are supported. So my point is, I don't I don't think I can talk. Of, with any uh, level of knowledge about any of these titles and whether or not the Patreon funding model works for them. Well, that's never stopped like, the I can speak of us. Ab- well, I can speak about whether I think Patreon works as a game dev uh, funding tool, and I think generally it doesn't unless you're such a small dev that it's it's literally just keeping your really small projects afloat. I think someone like Kitty Horror Show could probably get by with a Patreon. I, but games well, are so long to make thing- that... Where the the breeding season thing that they mentioned was like a team, and they were like the biggest Patreon campaign on Patreon for a while. Um, we're talking like tens of thousands of dollars a month. Uh, I I don't know, like I haven't heard of what happens. Let's, let's see. Sex game canceled after taking in five figures a month on Patreon. Oh, this is from like over a year ago. Uh, yeah, they were they were making forty two point three thousand dollars a month. Or yeah, wow. that is a lot of money. Yeah. Um. So, and I I guess they they closed down their. Oh, I remember this now. They had a conflict with one of their art guys who ran off with all the art assets and didn't have, like, a proper fucking contract of, like, hey, we own the art assets that you make for this game. Uh, Oh, no. And there was some great big thing about that because I guess making half of six figures a month is not enough to get a fucking lawyer. So I think there are problems with Patreon funding game development, obviously. Um, <laughs> especially bigger game devs like that. Like, like once once you're at a point where you're making $32,000 a month, it's it's hard to release $32,000 worth of content a month. It really... I, I don't I don't know how, the, how you could possibly... I don't know how Chris Roberts does it. Um... That's a bad joke. Yeah, um, I don't know how Chris Roberts does it either. Remember when Star Citizen was supposed to come out in like 2014? So I feel like there's like 18 parts of questions to this. So there's there's the there's the Patreon as a means of funding erotic games. There's have you played these games? And then there was something about Binary Domain. I also haven't played Binary Domain. Have, have either of you? No. No, I haven't. Um, I can look into it at some point and maybe we can do something with it. Uh, yeah, 
I may be mistaken, but I seem to remember there being a clause in the Patreon Terms of Service about using Patreon to distribute porn. Uh, which but it's not, it's not is porn. obviously it's not vaguely erotic. Because, like, there's a lot of, like, um, erotic fan art Patreons going on. Uh, right. Like, yeah. Well, when you fund the artist, they draw whatever they want. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, it's... Well, and, and also, where do you draw the line between pornography and sort of pin-up erotic titillation stuff? Yeah. Um, and that, that gets down, and I, I don't want to open up that discussion, but, like, I, I don't think you could argue that Cloud Meadow is straight-up pornography. It's it's racy and erotic, or at least from what I've seen of it. Again, I haven't played it, but, like, I, I unless there's, like, actual hardcore scenes of intercourse in this video game about running a farm, which would be weird... Are there? I, I hope there's not. I would not be surprised. And if it was, how would they regulate that? It, it seems to be one of those rules that's in the TOS to protect Patreon, but they never actually bother enforcing. Yeah. I mean, it's better that than like what Twitch does, where they just outright arbitrarily ban crap. Yeah. Yeah. Twitch's sexual politics is weird. Um, I, I have more to say about um, erotic games in general, but there's another erotic game question that we can get to, so um, I'll bring it up there. In the meantime, do we want to move on to a non-erotic question? Sure. Um, let's see, what would be interesting here? Okay, um... Dear Spodcast, did Josh accept defeat and name it Spodcast? Okay, um, that's, that's a you're, bad you're question conf- because... confused about who would be accepting defeat. Actually, you know what? No, I surrender. Oh, no. I guess we have to call it the Spodcast now, and there's no reason ever okay, to bring it, it up again. Moving on. Real question. Dishonored Death of the Outsider ends differently than the previous two Dishonored games in that instead of it being related to the actions that the player committed over the course of the game, the ending was decided directly by the player in the last few minutes. Do you guys have any thoughts over a game's ending being directly related to player choice versus player action? Um... Yeah, I guess I do. I I think finding a good uh, ending is... Cheers, Maddie won Monopoly. Sorry, continue. I I feel like the best endings are ones that can look at your play experience holistically, but do not result in an ending based on the same choice over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. For example, I'm not a big fan of Infamous, and I'm not a big fan of Bioshock. Uh, Bioshock's do you harvest or not harvest little sister mechanics. I'm also not a big fan of the original Dishonored's do you do things not killy or do you do things really killy approach to calculating whether you have a high or low chaos run. Um, Because that boils down to making the same decision over and over and over again, and the entire video game becomes a very complicated, are you sure? Yes, no option on which ending you pick. And that is not super interesting. Um, I like things like the end of like Fallout New Vegas, where we run through all of your choices as a player and talk about the impact of the characters and what that meant and what that did, and get a holistic picture of what you as a player did to that game world. Um... In a pinch, I'm okay with, like, uh, choosing the actual ending at the very end of the game. 
um, because you can use what you've learned throughout the entire game to inform your decision. Look at something like Deus Ex for a good example of that. So I, th I think the worst, my least favorite kind of endings are the ones where it's like there's only two options and you just have to keep playing a certain way or making a certain choice over and over and over and over and over again until the end of the game. That kind of sucks. Um, I like the best. My favorite are the ones that look at all choices like Fallout. Um, and my second favorite is something like Deus Ex where it goes, using what you've learned, make an informed decision. So that's my rant about that. Yeah, I feel like the the systems that are like, we try to systemize it. We have this thing that keeps a tally on what you're doing, and we give you a score at the end of the game. Those tend to, like, be really, really bad most of the time, uh, and, and not really reflect a lot of, like, the nuance of the actions. You know, if it's just, like, killing is bad then you kind of set up a, a situation where there's no context wherein killing is justified and, and 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 that kind of creates a weird dichotomy where like, hey, maybe maybe this guy would hurt a lot more people by still being around, so let's kill him and then, you know, it's it's oh well you killed him and that added to your chaos score. I realize like Dishonored always has non lethal options for dealing with people, but it's it's that kind of thing of like there's no like if you if you're just automating it and doing it based on like some kind of score tally, you're going to run into situations where it just erases the nuance of the choices that you're actually making. Uh, and, and generally does lend itself to this like great big grandiose, like good or bad uh, dichotomy where there's not really any kind of gray area. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of systems like that. I feel like if you could keep track of enough things, if you could like make a karma system that really actually paid attention to a lot of the stuff, you know, like like what? How do you tend to handle people in dialogue choices? You know, like like you know, uh, you know, how do you tend to handle combat situations? Do you try to you know? Um, go above and beyond what people ask and like, you know, give to the poor. And I'm using this in context of like RPG choices and stuff like that. You know, like, like what, what general impact are you having on the world with a series of multiple different scores? Uh, and you could find a way to, um, like tally those out into a specific kind of outcome. Uh, I, I feel like that could work, but I don't think I've ever seen a system do that in a satisfying way. Um, I feel like, yeah, the, the best way that, that has been done to do it is the, the approach that like fallout kind of pioneered, um, like fallout one, fallout two and, um, new Vegas all had this, like, um, you know, here's, specific areas, specific characters, specific quests, and how your choices in those uh, things affected the world and, and the people in it. Um, and that maybe leads yeah. into like what choices you have in the ending or not. I think part of the reason that we keep coming back to Fallout is that those are really, really scripted endings, and um, if you do yeah. it with a system, no matter what, you're going to boil it down to your choice. Your impact on the game world was these numbers, but to make that meaningful, you really eventually have to frame that in a way that is written. And so many game systems just end up being like, well, if it's below this threshold, you got ending A, and you got above this threshold, you got ending B, or maybe below this threshold, ending A, middle th uh, would be B, and, and above this threshold is C tends yeah. to be about how much writing we do. Where Fallout, as a game that is an RPG, 
really focuses on like actually writing that stuff out for each town and each each major faction or whatever, giving you a summary of what your what your impact really was, um, is a lot more interesting. So at the end of the day, to do an ending to a game, you're going to have to translate game state to something somebody sat down and wrote for it to be meaningful. Because otherwise, you're just going to go. It's a, it's a mission complete summary screen you know you got 37 percent happy in this town and like who, who cares about that if it, if you're going for a satisfying narrative conclusion so i think that I, like I, it's less about the character like the choices and more about the characters that are making that choice so i think a lot of the games we have problems with kind of like they try to have a character in the world and but have it, like, also be kind of how you might think they act. So either, like, an aggressive version or, like, a kinder version. When I think, like, it really works best when you're either completely constructing your character from scratch. So, like, Fallout sort of does this. Or, like, you know, for a more recent example, like, Divinity kind of do that, too, where there's suggestions, but really you can make the character kill whoever you want or play however you want, and that's just a system that... It's in the game, but it's also narratively in your head a little bit, too. You're creating it. Um, and then, of course, the games where there's just no choice, and then you have characters that are just seen through to the end by the writing and, and the story. And I think that games are at this point where we're having trouble blending the two. The sort of character, but also sort of you. And I don't know if we have a system yet for it. Yeah, That's a good point. You've got a lot of games like the the Dragon Age game or Bioware games in general where you kind of you're you're making a character ostensibly that is a a new character that is is unique to you but by the the very nature of the kind of story they're trying to tell and the the the, the methods they're using to try to tell it like that character has to have some sort of characterization in the world um and especially and so if you have it voice acted right exactly right off voice the bat acting you're, is the big thing you know you know like because if you if it's voice acted you can't just have them doing monotone stuff you know you, you can't do the text thing of having the character just speak in text and like you can kind of read your own tone into it um and if you're doing any kind of cinematic stuff, you know, of course you have to have some kind of characterization for, for the character, and that is not unique or created by the player at all most of the time. Sometimes there's a little customization options, you know. If your character's got a lot of renegade points, they can they can be mean to people, um, you know, stuff like that. But uh, it's a very weird sort of position, which is kind of why I found myself gravitating to like more set characters like Geralt in uh, the Witcher series, um, Adam Jensen in the uh, the new Deus Ex games that, that are specifically and explicitly established characters. These are people, they have their own backstory. You don't pick that, you you role play that particular um, character and then you, you get to shape their actions and the way those actions inform that pre-existing character um, through the course of the game. And then you have things like uh, Corvo, who uh, is ostensibly a real person but has no personality whatsoever uh, <laughs> and doesn't even speak in his first game. He's just so busy killing. Um, all right, let's, let's go to... 
another uh, erotic question. It's the actual subject of this is you asked for it. Erotic question. Well, you guys asked for it, so here it is. Are you aware of the homebrew erotic game genre? If so, have you played any? You can find many examples here, and it's a link to uh, tfgamesite.com. Uh, most of these games never get completed, but there are some really good ones amongst the barely-a-demo garbage. Uh, they tend to be free-to-play, but a couple have even managed to get decent Patreon funding for the regular updates. Just wanted to hear your thoughts and possibly horrified stories on this topic. I particularly can't wait to hear Rutzgarn's take on it. Oh, um... Rutskarn is well, busy today, so I guess you'll have to put up with me. Thanks for the podcast. Hi, Ev. Uh, so I will, full disclosure here, all of our erotic questions are about erotic video games and whether we played them. So uh, I guess, Camster, your answer is going to be the <laughs> same regardless. Um, I have... So, like, my... Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, well... I've kind of dipped my toes into erotic games a bit. Um, I am by no means an expert, but um, my conclusion is that they are all shit. Like, across the board, pretty much none of the, the ones that I've tried have been particularly good. Either in terms of, like, just straight up, like, here's porn... Or in terms of, like, this is, you know, smut with, you know, plot or whatever. Um, And you've got, like, a couple of different variations on, like, adult games. And all of them have, like, horrible crippling problems. Like, the... You've got, like, the Newgrounds, really shitty Flash flash games that, like, have some bad side-scroller gameplay. And then there's some sex scenes, um... Those are not particularly interesting. Uh, You know, you run into the thing of like, well, you know, you could just be looking at porn and then you wouldn't have to deal with playing bad gameplay. Um, And then you have the ones that are like sort of make your own porn scene, which again, you know, Yay, I'm watching porn where everybody looks like a mannequin and has a dead look in their eyes. <laughs> like I or I could just go watch actual porn. Um And then you've got the stuff which are like visual novels or dating sims. Uh well, I guess those are two different kind of things. Like the dating sims sims are usually this like really horribly creepy uh time management stuff uh that gets really tedious and then the visual novels are like monolithically war and peace word count things constructs that maybe have a couple of sex scenes in them and i just get really 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 bored after reading for like three hours and nothing has happened uh, but hey, we're describing the staircase that the self-insert character is walking down right now, so that's great. Um, and it's kind of an interesting set also of add problems. That... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I would add. I would add that there's like another like probable like version of erotic game because there's no place I think in common knowledge of like more 
um, educational awareness games. So, like, my mind goes to Robert Yang's games. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of them. But, but so, they're more... See, I would almost... They're, they're erotic, but I would almost... Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to... Oh, that's okay. Yeah, so, like, more just, like, uh, more art than anything, maybe. And making a statement about, um, you know, sexuality and how we perceive male sexuality. And, um, funnily enough, also, his games are banned on Twitch. So it's just, like... (laughs) You know, it's just... There's a message there that's just being blanketed by a Twitch. Blanket blocked, I guess. Anyways, so... There's, like... Or, or even like you think of Christine Love's work too. Christine They're... Love is a, a notable like exception, I think, like where she actually does do decent um, erotic stuff. And and I've played some of um, uh, Lady Killer in a Bind, and it um, does not do the horrible thing of I have been reading for three hours and it is exactly as not sexy as it was when I started. And I'm still getting introduced to characters. Um, it kind of jumps right into it. Uh, and the game isn't like that long from what I can see. Yeah, it's about a five hour game. But there's multiple endings and stuff. I think it's just a matter of like, unfortunately, the resources aren't put to making a really good version of the kind of games that we see are often poorly done. Yeah, you have a, a like a very large set of intersecting problems when it comes to making an erotic game um like first off there is the question of like who is this for uh you know like is this just porn is it a like is it more than that does it have a plot and then it has porn in it you know like um is the porn just kind of hinted at and it's it's really just more smut um and like that's like a question that like and, and then there's also like that element of like how do you implement gameplay into that whereas gameplay is often very much not at all about like like it, there's there, there's not a gameplay system that I've I've seen that like really translates to any aspect of romance or sex well um, to the point where like probably the most successful games are just visual novels because they don't have gameplay mechanics. Uh, um, And then of course there's the issue of like up until recently, like you couldn't even have games with sexual content on steam it's really hard to sell these things and make money doing it, you know? And if you're going to be a professional erotic games creator, like, that's not an easy road, even by indie dev standards. Um, and and even so, like, right now, like, Steam still occasionally just pulls erotic games for no apparent reason. Um, you you kind of got to deal with that. Like, a lot of... Um, Banking services will not work with you if you, if you're doing like explicitly porn stuff. Um, you know, you, you just, oh really? There's a huge stigma against it. Yeah, like um, PayPal will not work with you if you're doing erotic stuff. Um, as far as I'm aware, uh, like just stuff like that um, puts a big barrier. Um, 
in the path of, of making erotic games. So, so like the idea of getting like a, a reasonably budgeted, um, you know, let, let's for the sake of it, say like a 3d, uh, a game, not just some weird, like I made it in an afternoon side scroller or, uh, you know, a visual novel or something where you don't need to worry about graphics and all that kind of stuff, you know, like getting a decently budgeted 3d game is really hard for that reason. Um, other problems that I've seen with, with erotic games in general, like kind of pulling back is like, um, I, I think this is something that's not talked about a lot and like really should be is the absolutely pervasive, hyper masculinity and misogynistic uh perspective going on in these games that like turns me right off most of the time uh like it it's like all these games were written by frat boys and you know like um video games in general have a problem with like like tackling subjects like this in general in a mature fashion so this is not unique specifically to erotic games but like it's kind of i guess amplified by those other problems we talked about where like writing a a really decent fucking uh you know dialogue and and scenario and and anything that's just not just like totally trashy is probably like even more steps removed from your mind uh than it would be in any other sort of scenario just because of all this other stuff that you have to worry about when making an erotic game. Uh, and that kind of sucks. Because uh, There's I think it would be... often like... Oh, go ahead. Well, I think it would be interesting if we saw, you know, more nuanced takes on, you know... Games that touched on sexuality in a way that didn't suck in general would be nice. You know, moving even further Absolutely. just from erotic games, you know... Well, and it's like, it's dealing with the, like, Star Wars prequel syndrome, where it's like, everyone's a robot and no one's sexual, and they're all, like, right. these desexualized creatures. In so many games we see, and it's like, it's just, it's so hard to even, like, connect with these characters in games that were, there's, like, human interaction, but, like, not... A lot. It's it's like strictly business, and it's like, who are these robot people all the time? You you walk into the first tavern in Fallout Three, and there's a prostitute there, and you pay her to sleep with you, and so she walks up and she goes up into the uh, hotel room, lies down into the bed, and goes to sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's just kind of. I can see that playing off as like a comedic thing. By a studio other than Bethesda, perhaps. (laughs) What are you saying? There's no comedy in the Fallout world? I'm saying Bethesda doesn't have the self-awareness to do that. Oh. There was that game that came out in 2012, the Katawa Shoujo. And I don't know if you guys remember the name, but it's the dating sim where you date different girls with different disabilities. And I never played it to the fullest, but it made me very uncomfortable. But I do kind of wonder if it at least made strides in dealing with, you know, sexuality and disability and maybe, hopefully, 
at, at least a few tasteful ways. I, I can yeah, only I imagine like how it could go wrong, but I didn't play it and I wasn't really sure what to think about it because like half the stuff I heard about it was like, you know, oh no, it's making great strides in like in in, you know, the acceptance of people with bodies that are not conforming to the ideal perfect um and then the other half of the stuff i i heard was like oh this is like fetishizing uh like disability in a really weird way i think it was a good conversation starter game yeah i think that opening up and talking about how can we can incorporate sexuality and um like a little bit more in depth is important and i feel like we're in this kind of odd place because we have a lot of creators that are doing great work like Christine Love and Robert Yang, but it doesn't seem to be the focus right now when it comes to um, even a lot of indie devs. Yeah. And like, I remember there was a game on Steam recently uh, that, that you know, sounded kind of interesting to me. It was like... Um... I mean, the the scenario wasn't all that, you know, unique. It was like, you're at a party, you know, interact with the people at the party and, you know, uh, kind of like do some sort of simulation of like dating and then, you know, that moving into sex, which could like, I feel like if you could do that right, might be an interesting game. Uh, but, you know, it was just full of the same sort of like crowd, like, you could just whip your dick out and and perform sexual acts and then get kicked out of the party and it's like this this is not exactly what I was looking for um you know like oh okay this is also being written by the those same people who are writing all these other sex games badly so like I wish there was more like Christine Love um, that that looked at sex in a way that was not the very juvenile like haha look there's there's boobs uh, but but we get to show the actual sex act yay uh, but maybe sometime in the future um alright we've been going for a little more than an hour I'd say we're uh pretty good here we covered most of the erotic questions um you know if you if you want to i guess those are the important ones more erotic questions and maybe something that's not about games. no erotic games they just no. not there's not a lot there no more erotic questions normal questions please all right camster wants you to ask normal questions about normal things and if you want to ask normal questions about normal things, you can always send an email to spoilerwarningshow at gmail.com. And uh, that's a wrap. That's a spodcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Hooray! I hope we did not horribly disturb you with our discussions about erotic things. Oh, I held back a ton. Well, we all appreciate that. For the sake of, of Josh's ears. Yes, my my poor innocent ears. Anyway, uh good night everybody. Good night. Good night.